0: Ya أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ O Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Jahid, strive, against who? al the disbelievers, wal and the hypocrites. Strive against the disbelievers and the hypocrites. وَغْلُظْ عَلَيْهِمْ And be harsh against them, upon them. وَمَأْوَاهُمْ And their abode, جَهَنَّمْ is hellfire, وَبِئْسَ And how evil, المصير, the destination. In this ayah, the Prophet ﷺ is being commanded to do jihad. Against two Against two types of people. First of all, Al kuffar, And secondly, munafiqin. Now if you think about it, what is jihad? It is to... Struggle in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? But remember that jihad is different depending on the situation uh, that a person is in. Alright? So, for example, over here, jihad against the kuffar, jihad against the munafiqeen. Was it the same type of jihad? Was it the same kind of jihad? Or was there a difference in that? Jihad against the kuffar was what? That when they're coming against you in the battle, then you will also raise your weapons and go against them. Even if you have to march all the way to the book, you will do that. right? Because the enemy is coming against you with their weapons, so you are also going to go against them with your weapons. This is one type of jihad. But against the munafiqeen, against the hypocrites, people who pretended to be Muslim but they weren't actually Muslim. Who even came to the masjid and prayed with the Prophet ﷺ? But behind him, what would they do? Mock at the Muslims, mock at the Prophet ﷺ, make fun of the Quran. All right. So these people were not actually Muslim; they were pretending to be Muslim. The Prophet was told to do jihad against them. Did he have them all killed? Do we learn that from the seerah? When the companions asked, "O oh Prophet sallam give me permission to chop his head off." Did the Prophet ﷺ allow that? No. So we see that jihad against the kuffar was different from jihad against the munafiqeen. Alright? And this in itself shows to us that jihad is not just qital. It is not just fighting in the battlefield. Alright? It is different depending on the situation that a person may be in. And for this we need to understand the meaning of jihad. What is jihad? Jihad is from Juhud And Juhud is one's striving. It is to strive, to exert one's effort. Alright? To work really hard. This is from Juhud. And also it is from jihad. And jihad is one's capacity. So jihad is basically a combination of jihud and jihad. It is a combination of a person striving, exerting his effort, but how much effort? His maximum capacity, whatever that he can. Why? Why is a person striving to his maximum ability? For what purpose? When is it that you have to spend every bit of the strength that you have? You spend it, you exert it. Why? In order to do something that is very difficult, something that is very important. Have you ever tried to pick up a really heavy suitcase that your mom's taking back home? Have you ever tried to do that? Or you were traveling with? How do you do it? You just stand on your one foot and you're like, yeah? Is that what you do? What do you do? Got both your hands together and you go, right? right? This is what you are striving and you're exerting your maximum capacity. Because what you have at hand is something very difficult. Alright? It is something very, very difficult. Now, it is difficult, but why are you picking it up? Why do you have to lift it? Because you need to weigh it. Do you ever say, forget it, don't weigh it, we'll just go to the airport and we'll find out how much it weighs. Would you ever do that? Have you ever done that? What happened? You were asked to take things out of your suitcase because it was too heavy. Have you ever seen that at the airport? Right? People struggling, looking for another bag or arguing with the people so that they can get their suitcase through. Right? Now, You have to put in that effort, lift up that suitcase, because if you don't do that, you're not going to get through, right? You're not going to get through, you're not going to get your boarding pass, you're not going to get into the aircraft. You can't go to your destination. You have to go through that effort, through that striving. Now many times it happens that when a person is in the way of Allah, whether he is walking towards salah, or he is trying to study something or he's trying to help somebody for the sake of Allah. What happens? Roadblocks. Hurdles. Okay? There are hurdles in the way. And those hurdles, you have to strive against them. You have to get past them. Because if you don't get past them and if you just give up and you're like, oh, whatever. Can't do it. It's too difficult. Then what's going to happen? You're not going to accomplish much in your life. Isn't it so? Anything you want to do in life, what happens? There are difficulties in the way. When a person is in the way of Allah, any difficulty that comes his way when he strives against it, to get rid of it, to remove it, to defeat it, what is that? Jihad. What is that? Striving. And for that striving, even a person is rewarded. For that striving a person is rewarded. This is why jihad is of different types. One is that a person is struggling against himself. The other day I read a quote that let the one who wishes to move the world move himself first. Because what happens when you're lying down like a vegetable literally and you're not moving? Huh? What do you have to strive against? Yourself. And striving against yourself is very difficult. Because if somebody's not moving, you can push them. You can hold their hand and drag them. But if you're not moving, what are you gonna do? You're gonna give yourself a slap? Is that gonna work? No. Are you gonna kick yourself? How are you gonna kick yourself? You're gonna push yourself? How are you gonna push yourself? So what do you have to strive against? Your nafs. And that power has to come from within. Aisha? She's quoting Mufti Menk that he said that the person who can pick up, you know, heavy weights, he's not that strong. The person who's really strong is the one who can throw his blanket off. Who can pick up his blanket because that requires some real jihad, some real striving. Correct? So you have to do that. Now what we discussed just now not buying your hijab, not buying you know the abaya that you really want to, not buying that sweater, and keeping that money instead for buying A book. Don't you have to convince yourself? Don't you have to hold yourself back and kind of push yourself to spend the money in the right way? You have to, right? That is also a kind of struggle. Right? What happens when there is a snowstorm? Alhamdulillah, we've seen a lot of snow this year. Right? What happens every time there is snow? The whole city stops? Does it? What happens? 7 a.m., 6 a.m., what will you see out on the roads, on the streets? snow plows and what are they doing clearing up the snow not just from the streets and from the roads but also from where from the sidewalks right and what are people doing they're clearing up their driveways I always wonder why do they bother what's the big deal if you leave the snow because you know how sometimes you get lazy you don't want to shovel so I'm like what's gonna happen you know what's gonna happen That snow, if it begins to melt and the temperature drops and it turns into ice, what are you going to do? right? And if you're walking on it and you slip, you're going to hurt yourself. So when there's a hurdle, what is necessary? You face it and you strive against it and you remove it. Because if you don't remove it, it's going to bite you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to incapacitate you. You're not going to be able to go much further in the way of Allah. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ is told that you strive. Strive against who? The kuffar, those who openly come against you, but also these munafiqeen who are biting you from within, who are harming you from within, who are making the rest of the Muslims weak by their comments and by their laziness and their lies and their mockery. You have to strive against them also. And in particular what is mentioned, alayhim, Be harsh against them. وَغْلُضْ is from غَيْنْ za and ghilza is to be harsh. It's basically used for thickness and roughness of something. When the word ghilza is used to word someone, it means to be harsh in dealing with them. Not in speech, but in dealing with them. We think Being harsh with someone means that you yell at them and you insult them in public and you swear words against them. Right? You yell at the top of your voice. This is what harshness means. Is that effective? Is that effective? No. It's not effective. Have you ever seen people, maybe in your school or maybe at home, who are being yelled at, literally humiliated, and what happens? They just stare at the wall. They just stare at the wall and they completely ignore the person who's yelling at them. Or what happens? They put their headphones on. Hmm? Or they turn the television on. Or they yell back, or they just get up and they leave. Is it effective? Is it effective? It's not effective. What is more effective than when you're harsh in dealing with someone? In dealing with them How? Like for example, the Prophet ﷺ, he is being told over here, وَغْلُضْ alayhim, Be harsh with them. How? Because previously he was very lenient with them. What happened? When the munafiqeen would come, present their excuses, what would he do? Okay, fine. And he would turn his face away. Right? He was ignoring them. Letting them be. Accepting their excuses. Whatever they said, okay, fine, never mind. But now he's being told, no, you have to be tough with them. Meaning if they come up with an excuse, don't just accept it. If you've heard that they have said something, don't just ignore it, confront them. And did the Prophet ﷺ do that? Yes. In the journey back from Tabuk, when the Prophet ﷺ was told that this is what some of the munafiqeen are talking about, meaning against you, against the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ confronted them. He asked them, did you say this? Right? So this was the harshness, but this was just the beginning. So the Prophet is told that alayhim, Be strict and harsh with them, meaning when you're dealing with them, don't be gentle anymore, don't be lenient with them anymore, you have to be tough now. And this is a huge lesson. That when you see that someone is you know, lying to you, cheating with you, then what happens at the beginning? They're like, okay. Never mind, you ignore them. But then if you see the same kind of attitude getting worse and worse, what is necessary? That you put your foot down, right? And you confront them. Does it ever happen that you're you know, fooling around in your class and your teacher, she ignores you, right? And then what happens eventually? What happens eventually? She gives it to you. Then you get in trouble, correct? So likewise, the Prophet is told that you cannot be lenient in dealing with them anymore, you have to be tough with them. Why was he told to be tough with the munafiqeen? Why? Like for example, if a child is misbehaving at the table, the parent ignores, but then eventually says, get up, time out. Get up, no dinner for you. Why? Yes. To get the message across. Alright. And, yes, their behavior doesn't escalate, doesn't get worse. Why else? Yes. They don't repeat it again. One more reason. Yes. Yes. Others don't start imitating them. I have two kids. And I see that when one is misbehaving, the other does the exact same thing. So I have to stop them immediately. Because children pick up on one another very quickly. Very quickly. Just this morning we're having breakfast. My son says, I don't want this. And my daughter who's having her breakfast, she says, I don't want it immediately imitating her brother. He says, I don't want to use this soap. And she says, I don't want to use it. I don't want this toothpaste. I don't want it either. They imitate one another. This is within human nature. If you see someone taking it easy with their homework, what do you do? What do you do? Like if they can, you know, do it, I can do it too. I can try that too. So this is why, stop it right now. وَغْلُوْضْ alayhim. Because they're going to corrupt the rest of the people. These evil habits, this evil trend is going to spread. It is going to escalate. So this is why discipline is very, very important. Somebody was telling me, there's this one place where at the workplace, there's a big sign, don't feed the seagulls. And there are no seagulls over there. It's a workplace, it's an office building. But it says, don't feed the seagulls. What does that mean? that they have this work culture, that if anyone is complaining, you don't listen to them. Because seagulls, what do they do? They squawk and they poo. Right? So they squawk, 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 until you feed them something. You're like, okay, eat this, go away. But what happens? You feed one or two of them, how many will come? Fifty will come. And then what's gonna happen to your nice car? It's gonna be covered in, you know what. Right? So what is necessary? That if there is a seagull who is quawking, no matter how tempted you are, don't feed it. Because if you'll feed it, more will come, and they will make a mess. Correct? So likewise, at the workplace, they have this rule. Anybody's complaining, fussing, you don't listen to them. You don't listen to them. So what's going to happen when you don't feed the seagulls? They go away, they stop squawking. So likewise, the munafiqeen, they're creating a lot of problems. What is necessary? Now you be tough with them, don't feed them, don't accept their excuses, stop it right there. Stop it right there, because otherwise it's going to affect the rest of the people as well. And this is something that we need to realize also, that if we're complaining too much, or if we're creating negativity, we better stop. Because this negative behavior is going to spread elsewhere. So the Prophet ﷺ is told that be harsh with them, be tough with them, and realize that wa ma'wahum jahannam, their abode is hellfire. Both of them. The kuffar and the munafiqeen, their abode is hellfire. Kuffar, okay, understand. They reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so they're going to hellfire. The munafiqeen? Don't they say with their mouths that they believe in Allah in the last day? Yes, they do. But all of that is what? A show. It's just to impress people. There's no faith in the heart. There is hypocrisy, there is disease, and because of this reason they will also end up in hellfire. وَبِئْسَ Sal and what a terrible destination it is. is. يَحْلِفُونَ they swear from the root letters half halam فَأْ To swear. So they swear Billahi by Allah ma kalu ma not they have said. Meaning when you will ask them, Did you say this about the believers? Did you say this about the Prophet? What will they say? By Allah, we never said that. Some people, they have so much bad courage that what happens is that they lie outright. They've done something wrong. And when you ask them, did you do it? They'll say, no, I didn't do it. I mean, it's it's amazing. If you ask someone, they're lying in their bed, there are no traces of wudu on their face. Did you pray? Yeah. Now what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? It's obvious that they have not prayed. Hmm? Somebody you know, who hasn't done their lesson, they're asked, did you do your lesson? Yeah. What's the meaning of what? Who? Really? You did your lesson? If you did it, it would have showed. And we need to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regards to this. Because we can lie to people and deceive them. And we can swear to them by Allah. By Allah, I did this. Wallahi, you can ask this person, you can ask that person. But Allah knows if we actually did it or not. And at the end of the day, who are we answerable to? Who are we answerable to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the main characteristics of nifaq, of hypocrisy is what? Lying. Isn't that so? The Prophet in the hadith, what do we learn? He said, that the munafiq has certain characteristics. When he speaks, he lies. So يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ مَا قالوا. They will excuse themselves immediately by lying. And they will say, No, 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 we never said it. I didn't do this. I didn't do it. She did it. He did it. I'm not to blame. They try to They come innocent. How? By lying. They lie openly. يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ مَا قالوا. Allah says, laqad And certainly, قَالُوا They said, كَلِمَةَ kufr The word of disbelief. They said words of disbelief. Meaning they said such words that only a disbeliever would say. A believer would never utter those words. What kind of words? The words they said, you know, in mockery of the Prophet وسلم, of the believers, of the Qur'an. وَلَقَدْ قَالُوا كَلِمَةَ kufr Allah says, وَكَفَرُوا And they disbelieved. بَعْدَ إِسْلَامِهِمْ After their Islam. وَهَمُّوا Meaning they accepted Islam, but then what did they do? They committed disbelief. They even went out with the Prophet ﷺ for tabuk. Imagine. But yet after that they committed kufr. How? By saying words of kufr. And by lying about it openly. وَهَمُّوا And they even went as far as Hammu They intended Bima with that which lam not yanalu they attained. Yanalu is from noon yalam nail to attain. They intended to do something, but they didn't actually end up doing it. They didn't actually end up attaining it. They planned something, they tried to do it, they tried to carry out their plan, but they weren't successful. What is it that they intended? On the way back from Tabuk, back to Medina. The munafiqeen, like we discussed earlier, that they were with one another because the people were divided up into groups and like-minded people stayed together. Alright? So some munafiqeen, they even plotted to kill the Prophet. ﷺ. Can you imagine? At this stage, they are trying to kill the Prophet. ﷺ. Some of them, in a hadith wider Hudaifa bin Yaman, he said, I was holding the bridle of the messenger's camel. While Ammar was leading it, meaning I was holding the camel and there was another companion with me, both of us were walking while the Prophet ﷺ was on the camel. And when we reached a certain point, 12 riders intercepted the Prophet ﷺ. 12 riders came quickly as if they were going to attack the Prophet ﷺ. So he said, I alerted the Prophet ﷺ that these riders are coming, I see people coming, and they don't seem to be coming with a good intention. So the Prophet ﷺ, he shouted at them and Basically the Prophet ﷺ showed that he knew and those 12 people, they got frazzled and they ran away. They basically wanted that the animal of the Prophet ﷺ would get afraid and that the Prophet ﷺ would fall off and, and he would die or he would get severely injured. So they tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ. Allah says, لم ينالوا. They didn't attain that. Why did they do that? Why do they want to kill him Allah says wama and not naqamu they avenge they are resentful naqamu is from noon qaf mim "Nakama" is to take revenge and why is it that you take revenge when you are resentful in your heart when you have this feeling of rage and anger when you've been angered then you want to take some action so why are they angry why are they being resentful to the Prophet ﷺ? Why is it just that illa except an that al-nahumullahu Allah and His Messenger have enriched them? That these people were poor before, and because of the coming of the Messenger ﷺ, these people became rich. Meaning, why are they angry? What were they before Islam? What was yathrib? Yathrib, the name itself has a very negative connotation. But what happened when the Prophet ﷺ came? That small oasis that no one paid any attention to, no business, no commerce over there. In fact, the Jews who lived in Medina, they had created havoc over there by keeping the two main tribes at war all the time. They supplied to them weapons and the Aws and Khazraj were constantly fighting against one another. What happened with the coming of the Prophet Their disunity turned into brotherhood, Unity. Right? Their wars, internal wars, internal conflicts, finished, right? And as a result, their forces were channelized against who? The enemy. And this led them to their victory. Before, they hardly had anything. Rather, whatever money they would make, it would be spent on what? On war. Now what happened? Alhamdulillah, they were fighting against who? The enemy, the real enemy, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought them victory, and as a result so many spoils, and as a result business and commerce people were coming into Medina. Medina became completely different by the coming of Islam. And this, all of that is summarized so beautifully that, Allah wa Rasulu, Allah and His Messenger made them rich. They were poor before, and now they became rich. This is why they're angry. This is why they want to kill the Prophet wasallam Is this something to be upset about? Min fadli from his bounty, meaning Allah's bounty has been bestowed on them. And this is what they're angry about. فَإِن يَتُوبُوا So if they repent, يَكُوا خَيْرًا لَهُمْ It will be better for them. This is the mercy of Allah. That even if these people have attempted to kill Allah's messenger, Allah says if they repent, it will be good for them. وإن يتولوا but if they turn away, يعذبهم الله عذابا أليما Allah will punish them with a painful punishment, where في الدنيا in this world والآخرة and in the hereafter. وما لهم and not for them في الأرض in the entire earth من وليين any friend ولا نصير nor any helper. Meaning, once Allah will afflict His punishment on them, then there will be no friend to save them and no helper to take them out of their misery. Because the people who are deceitful, who befriends them? Nobody befriends them. People who are treacherous, even their parents don't like them anymore. Right? Even their parents don't like to be with them, don't like to support them anymore. The closest people even will abandon such deceitful individuals. So, in this is a warning, in the previous ayah, we see that the Prophet ﷺ is told, be firm, be severe with the munafiqeen. You see Surah Tauba. at the beginning we learnt Baraa against who? Against the Mushrikeen. Correct? After that Bara'ah was what? Invitation to repent. If you repent, it's okay. Now over here, Ghilzah, harshness against who? Against the Munafiqeen. But after that also, what is mentioned? Tauba. If they repent, good for them. And yet we see that people will single out these verses, take them out of context and say, oh, Islam promotes so much violence against its own people. Is that so? Think about what the munafiqeen tried to do. They tried to kill the Prophet Wasallam. Imagine if there is a person who tries to assassinate the president. You think he'd be spared? You think he'd be spared? No. Harsh measures are going to be taken against him, right? So if somebody is attempting to kill the Prophet ﷺ, they are going to be treated very harshly then. I mean the mushrikeen they had a grace period and the munafiqeen even they're being offered if you repent good for you. Where do you find that opportunity? That if you think about it Allah blessed them through His messenger guidance, purpose in life All right, knowledge, then wealth their life improved so much. Yes, at the beginning there was a lot of hardship but eventually it improved a lot. In every way. But yet they were angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the problem with who? With ungrateful people. Who don't focus on the blessings, who just focus on the problems. If you think about it, every single one of us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us in one way or another. If we're suffering in one way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has compensated for that in another way. This is why, Alhamdulillah, على كل حال. This yesterday, I was listening to a lecture by Shaykh Walid Basun, and I recommend that you all listen to it. Optimism. Okay? Very interesting story he mentioned about this king. Okay? This one king, he had gone for hunting with some of his friends, and this king, he ended up chopping off his finger. Okay? And his friend, he goes, Alhamdulillah. So the king got really furious that I got hurt, my finger got cut off, and you're saying, Alhamdulillah? And he was so upset that he sent his friend back home to be locked up. And then what happened? This king, he goes hunting and he gets lost and he ends up in the land of the enemy. And this enemy, they're basically people who are idol worshippers and they sacrifice to their gods. So what happened? They found this king and they're like, okay, we're going to sacrifice him for our gods. So they lay him down in order to sacrifice him. But what happens? Their priest says his body is not... Complete. His finger is missing. It is cut off. So it'll be bad luck for us. So they let him go. Okay. So the king, Alhamdulillah, he's so happy. He goes home that, Alhamdulillah, my cut finger, it saved me. Right? He goes home and he called his friend out of the dungeon and he's like, Something good must have happened to you as well. If I was saved, Alhamdulillah, because of this accident, something good must have happened to you as well. He said, Well, you know what? if anyone would have been with you over there, it would have been me. And if I was with you and not in this jail, I would have been sacrificed over there. So anything that happens in life, remember, there is some khair in that. There is nothing that is pure evil. Right? So anything that happens, instead of being angry with Allah, I mean, you have a big plan, this is, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, and everything just collapses. Like Abdullah bin Ubayy, the chief of hypocrites, why was he like that? He was angry basically. Because before the Prophet ﷺ came, who was going to be made the king of Medina? Abdullah bin Ubayy. But with the coming of the Prophet ﷺ, people forgot Abdullah. And they went after the Prophet ﷺ, obviously. So Abdullah on the outward, he accepted Islam, he supported the Prophet ﷺ, but on the inside, he was filled with rage, filled with anger. He couldn't humble himself, he couldn't accept it. And as a result, his outward iman, it didn't save him. Rather, he became a hypocrite. Not just a hypocrite, but a chief of the hypocrites. And he was angry. So what do we learn from this? Don't be angry with Allah's decisions. Realize that even if apparently it's going against you, it's actually working in your favor. It's teaching you something very valuable in life. It's saving you from a greater calamity. It's leading you in the right direction. In the right direction. But you will only go in the right direction if you accept it. Success comes with what? Acceptance. Recitation of these
1: ayat. ya النَّبِيُّ alayhim. <laughs> ومأوهم جَهَنَّمُ وبئس الْمَصِيرِ يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ مَا قَالُوا وَلَقَدْ قَالُوا كَلِمَةَ الْكُفْرِ وَكَفَرُوا بَعْدَ إِسْلَامِهِمْ وَهَمُّوا بِمَا لَمْ يَنَالُوا وَمَا نَقَمُوا إِلَّا فَإِنْ يَتُوبُوا يَكُ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ وَإِنْ يُعَذِّبْهُمُ اللَّهُ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ وَمَا لَهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ. You see when a person does something wrong the first time,
0: Okay, he's not caught. Some people, they think, Okay, I was not caught. I better not repeat this again. But others, what do they say? It's okay. Let me try it again. It worked last time. It might work again. So what happens? They make the same mistake again. Deliberately. Right? And they cheat again. And they lie again. And they keep doing that for years and years and years until when they're finally caught, they are in so much trouble that they cannot solve it right? Like for example, you learn about people who uh, are very, very corrupt when it comes to money or when it comes to different things. So there's a lot of corruption going on. How does it start? Small things, right? A lie here, a false claim here, a false charge over here. And as a result, they go deeper and deeper and deeper. And finally when they're caught on corruption charges, then there's no going back. If they're sued, even they don't have the money, to pay off. Do they? So what happens? What's the only option? End up in jail for a lifetime. Doesn't this happen in this world? Don't we see such examples? And people who were, you know, on the highest positions, CEOs of great companies, right? Big positions in politics. But what happens because of corruption? What happens? They end up in jails. We heard a story in our last Helica class that a little boy, he stole a pencil and he showed that to his mom when he came back to the house. And mom said, wow, what a good pencil, you know. He said, can I use it? She allowed. The next day he stole some razor and after that he keep on you know stealing the things. And when he became a big boy, he became a big thief as well. So when the police caught him, because he started doing murders as well, so finally he decided that he's going to go into the jail. So he said, before going to the jail, I want to talk to my mom. He was allowed. So when he said, I want to say something into my mom's ear. So he went to his mom and he bit his mom's ear. And he said, this starts when I stole the pencil first time. So you should stop me. There's a saying in French that says, qui vole un neuf, volera un boeuf. It means, if you've ever taken an egg and you've stolen it, one day you'll steal a big cow. And my mom used to say this to us every single time you lied about something. And it stuck to my mind. Till today, I can, it's just so scary. (laughs) Yes. That today it's a small, innocent crime. People will think, oh, what a clever child. He got away with this pencil. Right? My child is so smart. Look at him. He's going to do well in this life, because life is tough. And then what happens? Right now it's a pencil, tomorrow it will be something much worse, much greater. So this is what happens. People become great criminals by committing small crimes. So the munafiqeen, they had been doing this all along. Lie here, lie here, mockery here, making fun of this one here, laziness here. And then as a result, what happened eventually? They're caught now. Allah says, O Prophet and be harsh against them. And the names of the hypocrites were revealed to the Prophet This is a hypocrite, this is a hypocrite, this is a hypocrite. And now their tawbah even would not be accepted. And in the following ayat we will see the Prophet was even prohibited from praying for the munafiqeen. You cannot even make dua for them that may Allah forgive them. So what is necessary? If we do something wrong, Allah conceals our sin Thank Him. Ya Allah, thank you for concealing my sin. And I promise I will not do this again. Um, We were just reading a story in school. And um, it was um, two brothers. And one of them, he was very smart with his... Like even when they were little kids and they got like allowances. He was very smart with his money. Like saved all of it. And the other brother, him and his um, friends who like weren't the best crowd would... um, Like he'd start with little things like playing cards. And then like, little, tiny gambling, whatever. It wasn't just little innocent. And then it got to the point where he just completely became homeless, like, when he was older, because he just spent all his money on gambling. He lost his job. And then he was in so much gambling debt that he had to... He went to the point where he, um... stole money from his brother that his brother was saving. And then to cover up that he stole the money, he burnt his brother's house down because so it looked like the money burned. And, like, it just. One thing after the other, right? One sin leads to another. So this is why it's necessary that you stop right at the beginning. And some people are not able to stop themselves. So it is the responsibility of the people around them to stop them. Subhanakullah wa bihamdik. nashadu ilaha illa ant. Nastaqbiruka wa natubu Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.